Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books Institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. Nicole Stell Garnett joins us today. She is professor of law at Notre Dame and a fellow at the Manhattan Institute. She's the author of Lost Classroom, Lost Community, Catholic Schools' Importance in Urban America, uh, a recent piece in City Journal entitled A Victory for Religious Liberty and Educational Pluralism. Uh, the topic in that piece is going to be our topic today. She's here to discuss the recent Supreme Court decision, Carson versus Macon. I imagine Macon is, is the right pronunciation of that, about a situation in the state of Maine. Welcome. Professor Garnett. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, well, let's get right to the case. Uh, people want to hear about what is the background of this case? When did it start? Well, there's a long background. But, um, since um, the 1870s, Maine has allowed school districts that don't run high schools to permit their residents to, to uh, use public funds to attend private schools. So between 1873 and 1980, um, kids could choose to attend religious schools. Um, after 1980, the, the state of Maine decided it would be unconstitutional, would be an establishment clause violation to allow kids to continue attending religious schools with these so-called tuitioning dollars. Um, and since 1980, the state has said to these tuitioned kids participating in the program, you can go anywhere in the world. Um, you can go to French boarding school, but you cannot go to a religious school. Um, the only exclusion from the program were so-called sectarian schools. Um, this was originally, as I said, justified on establishment clause grounds, that it would violate the establishment clause to allow kids to use public funds at religious schools. It's been quite clear that that wasn't true for the last 20 years. Since 2002, um, when the Supreme Court in a, in a case called Zellman versus Simmons Harris upheld a voucher program, um, that, that allowed kids to go to religious schools. That voucher program allowed poor kids to go to religious schools in Cleveland. Um, the court said it's fine to do that. It's fine to give kids money to make decisions to spend to go to religious schools. It doesn't violate the Establishment Clause. So since 2002, um, Maine has simply maintained that it, it doesn't want to pay for kids to go to religious schools. So it's continued this exclusion. It no longer has a constitutional argument um, backing it up. It's continued the exclusion. Um, the, the tuitioning program has been challenged. I think there have been eight lawsuits. Um, the first one, a little fun backstory, was filed by me in 1996 or 1997 when I was a young attorney at the Institute for Justice. Troublemaker. Uh, I'm a troublemaker. I've been kicking anthills ever since. Um, so we, the Institute for Justice filed the first uh, 
challenge, First Amendment challenge to the exclusion of religious schools from Maine's tuitioning program. We lost. This was before Zellman. We lost in Maine Supreme Court. Um, they said, the Maine Supreme Court said, it's a violation of the Establishment Clause to let these kids go to religious schools. So Maine has a perfectly good reason not to do this. Since Zellman, it's been challenged a number of other times, including the ultimate litigation that comes to the Supreme Court as um, Carson versus Macon. So, um, but there's a lot of water under the bridge between Zellman and today. We could talk a little bit about the doctrinal development. Well, let, me, um, let, me, let me just ask, if, if you know this, this before your time, in 1980, why did Maine do this? I mean, this seemed to be working fine for how many decades? Over uh, 100 years. Suddenly it becomes, we've been breaking the law for 100 years, and we've got to change this. Were these just atheists, activists, secularists pushing? So what my understanding, and this dates to the late 90s when I was litigating the issue, my understanding is that the ACLU filed a complaint with the Attorney General of Maine saying what you're doing is a violation of the Establishment Clause. The Attorney General issued a, um, a an opinion letter saying, oh, golly, you're right. We've been violating the Establishment Clause all these years. Um, and then Maine legislature codified the exclusion the following year. Um, now, look, I, I think it's fair to say that it wasn't an indefensible position in 1980 because there was a lot of one of the great things about Carson and a couple of other cases this term and cases that have been coming out for the last 10 or 15 years is that there were a lot of there's a lot of bad law in the 70s. Um, the court would regularly invalidate programs that benefited kids attending religious schools um, on establishment clause grounds throughout the 70s. Those cases were all literally all over the map. I mean, like, so there was actually a case that said you can give books to kids in religious schools, but not maps. I, I think the theory was like maybe the nun would point to the Vatican and that would be a violation of the establishment clause. It, I, Daniel Patrick Moynihan famously quipped, what about atlases? Um, there are cases that said you could let kids have bus transportation to school, but not field days, uh, field trips. There were cases that said um, you could have public tutoring in buses in the parking lot outside the religious school, but not inside the religious school. So the, the cases were a mess. Um, and the court, I mean, Maine might have reasonably thought, well, this seems like something we're not supposed to be doing. Um, but starting around 1980, the court really peels back on a lot of that precedent. It starts adopting in case after case after case, this basic rule that all the Establishment Clause requires is that the government maintain neutrality toward religion. A program that allows kids to go to private schools, public, I mean, public, private, religious schools, secular or not, that is not an Establishment Clause violation, particularly because the decision maker is the child. So, so by 2002, when, when Vermont, let me sorry, when, um, when the court upholds this Ohio program, the voucher program, uh, that principle is very clear, that Establishment Clause merely requires neutrality. What isn't clear is whether the, the establishment clause, that this neutrality principle applies the other way. So they could include the religious schools, but is their failure to do so, is that also unconstitutional because it's not neutral toward religion to exclude them, obviously. Uh, it's the definition of being not neutral toward religion to say you can't participate if you're religious. Um, so there are these free exercise challenges that um, are gaining steam. And then in three cases, well, two cases, and then Carson, the court has made clear in these three cases, recent cases, that the free exercise clause also requires neutrality toward religion, and that 
the government doesn't have to set up any funding scheme in particular, but if it chooses to fund religious schools, I mean, it chooses to fund private education, private provision of other social services, it may not say, except for religious, private education. So um, that's just common sense. Nicole, I mean, how, how can one say that money given to parents for private school tuition, and the parents who end up choosing a religious school, that this, this becomes the state sponsorship of religion. I, I mean, a lot of those parents who send their kids to religious schools, they're actually not religious, are they? Well, it's interesting. You know, the va- there's 31 states have private school choice um, now, and, and the vast majority of kids in these programs go to religious schools. And I think if you asked, I've seen some surveys about why parents in these, these programs choose religious schools. Um, and, you know, there are lots of reasons, academic reasons, disciplinary reasons, school culture, morals formation. Religion is an important factor, but many parents, um, for example, might choose to send their kids to Catholic schools because they're they're academically excellent. They have a, a good, strong school culture. They instill discipline and character that aren't. So there's lots of reasons why parents would choose to send their kids to religious schools. But yeah, I mean, look, in, in Zelman, the court said explicitly, we're not funding religion, we're funding kids, and it's up to the parents. It's like saying to gr- your grandma that she it's a violation of the Establishment Clause for her to take some of her Social Security check and put it in the, you know, the collection plate. That's clearly not the case. It's not the government's money, but at that point, it's hers. Um, but yeah. Maine, by the way, Maine never said it had to do this. It, it, since Selman, it's, they didn't have an Establishment Clause argument. They don't even have an Establishment Clause on the state constitution. They just said, we don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then specifically, what it, the, the argument went something like this. The, and the dissents in Carson talk about this. Look, religion is a sensitive subject, and there ought to be some play in the joints between what the Establishment Clause requires permits and what the free exercise clause requires. And that play in the joints, you and I might call it religious discrimination, but really what they're trying to do is just achieve more separation between church and state than the First Amendment requires. Um, And that that argument has been slapped down three times now in the last five years. Um, In 2017, the Supreme Court decided that case called Trinity Lutheran uh, Church and school versus Comer, which um, Missouri had denied a Lutheran preschool. This is pretty funny. They said that they couldn't give them recycled tires for p- playground resurfacing right. because they were a religious school. And they also said, but our, in our constitution, Missouri's constitution requires discrimination. Supreme Court says, no, that's, un- that's unconstitutional religious discrimination. In 2020, the court... Did, did, I'm sorry, did that... I know the 2017 decision about the playground. Did that invalidate the Missouri Constitution, at least the element of the Constitution that Missouri appealed to as to deny those funds? Yeah, so I wouldn't use the word invalidate. It just made it unconstitutional to to apply them so as to discriminate against religious schools. Or put differently, the court said... Missouri's interest in separation that is greater than the Establishment Clause, Missouri's constitutional interest even, because it's in its constitution, it says no funds go to sectarian schools. This is very, Missouri, this is an anti-Catholic history of these Blaine Amendments that we're all mm-hmm. familiar with. 
Uh, it just said that's not a, a sufficient interest to justify religious discrimination. The First Amendment requires a compelling government interest and and the state's desire to be more separate from, you know, is not sufficient. Yeah. And that's the same holding that comes in 2020 in a case called Espinoza. This Montana Supreme Court invalidates um, an, uh, Montana Supreme Court grounds a program because it a school choice program that includes religious schools because it includes religious schools. The Supreme Court yet again says you can't do that. Sorry, that's not a sufficient interest. This is religious discrimination. This decision was motivated by religious discrimination. Violates the First Amendment. Um, you know, there's a certain uh, gross disjunction between that abstract level of wall of separation and then an actual practice such as we're not going to let you get any money for your playground. That where where there's no religious content to that playground surface. Uh, I mean, most people, common sense tells them this is, is where, is where this leads. Uh, why are secular liberals and progressives so absolute, so theoretical about this wall of separation thing? Yeah, it's so it's a, it's a fascinating question. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, people, I, I understand they are quite absolute given the general complete like meltdown over the Carson decision and, and the Kennedy, Coach Kennedy case as well. But I mean, it, it's a strange argument if you think about it. So they're saying the argument is something like this. Look, it's, you know, the, let's let states discriminate just a little bit, not a lot, like just a little bit there. You know, there's like the, there's something that's offensive to us about religion, so we shouldn't have to pay for it. Um, and that should be OK. That's just actually protecting, you know, the rights of nonbelievers. We don't make mm -hmm. those arguments about other kinds of discrimination. We yeah, don't say yeah. like well, we'll let states discriminate on the basis of race or national origin just a little bit. Um, we say everybody is entitled to equal citizenship and all disc discrimination on the basis of race is repugnant to equal citizenship. So it's to say to religious people, you're not quite equal citizens because you're, you should be subject to some, you know, well, they would say de minimis discrimination. But I think if you there's a program in your state that says you can go to any school that you want but you can't go to the Catholic school. That's not de minimis. It's $10,000 worth of money that your kid doesn't have to go to high school. So huh. now I do think you did hint at one other thing. Like, so one thing that happens after the, the Espinoza case and, um, and this attorney Lutheran before it, there's this question left open in the decisions. Like, so the, the court in both those cases said, well, the reason that they're discriminating here is because of the character of the institution, because the institution is religious because the schools are religious, that's bad. That's unconstitutional. And then it leaves open this question about whether it might be okay to discriminate, to prevent public funds from going to religious uses. Sometimes this is called mm -hmm. the status use distinction. And that's actually what the first circuit mm -hmm. does when it upholds the main program the, the very last time before it went to the court. They said, this isn't status-based discrimination. We're not, they're not discriminating because the schools are religious. They're discriminating because they teach religion. Now, as, as a believer, you know, and we wrote a brief that Notre Dame's Religious Liberty Clinic had a, a brief I'm quite proud of. We represented Catholic, Muslim, and Jewish schools to make the argument that if you're a religious school, 
that distinction is is nonsensical. Like you, you you aren't a Catholic school if you don't teach the faith. You aren't a Muslim school if you don't teach the faith. You're not a Jewish school. So you could be Jewish, but not teach Judaism. Like that, that doesn't even make sense. And that's ultimately what the Supreme Court says. And, and yeah. kind of bizarre thing, but the chief justice made this thing up, the status use distinction. And then in Carson, he says, we never said that. Like, we never said that was constitutionally like, relevant. I don't know what the first circuit was doing. So now yeah. like Carson kind of closes that last loophole where you can't you can't say well look it's not that we want to, we don't want to discriminate against Catholics we just don't want to pay for them being Catholicy um, that was kind of the, the the distinction that Maine tried to make uh, and the Supreme Court says it's the same thing discriminating against religious people for doing religious things is the same as discriminating against them for being religious. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you are looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. Uh, let me ask you about an, another element that might be in play. I mean, you've been on the front lines doing noble work for, for a few decades now. Uh, do you think that there was an element among the activists or the secularists, the ACLU, that isn't simply about the funding for religious tuition, but giving parents too much discretion over the education of their own children. Uh, any 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 anti-parent element there? I, I don't know. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. So I mean, there's a lot going on. I, I mean, I've been involved in the school choice movement my entire professional life, and you know, clearly. Um, there is there's several things going on. One is um, secular, like just don't like religion, like secularism, radical secularism, hostility toward religious teachings, fear of religion. One is just um, closed shop protectionism of public traditional public schools. And this closed shop protectionism is not just focused anymore at private school choice, which has been what I've really been the advocate for, but also charter schools, which are secular. Um, but I do think there is something that um, is right about it, it's a it's a lack of trust of parents um, to make enlightened decisions for their children. Um, my husband Rick and I are editing a book of essays of the of the great Jack Coons, who's frequently published in First Things. In fact, I think the best article ever written is about school choice was published in 1992 in First Things. I commend it to everyone. It's by Jack Coons. It's called School Choice as Simple Justice. Mm. And um, Jack, who is now in his mid-90s, has been writing since the 60s about parental choice. And his entire argument is about empowering parents. That why school, our school system is so unjust because we dis- uh, we disempower parents. We tell them that we don't trust them, particularly poor people. We tell you that you're not to be trusted with your kid's education. And so 
if you if you say if you believe that people are not to be trusted with their they're not going to make enlightened decisions that you can't trust parents because they make inevitably make mistakes but as jack would point out they're likely to make fewer mistakes than everybody else (laughs) (laughs) because they love their children and they ultimately have to live with the product at the end of the day so um i do think there's this anti-parent thing um you know arizona you may know um I think yesterday the governor of Arizona signed a school choice law that will give every child in the state of Arizona $7,000 to attend the school of their choice. Um, It's the first universal private school choice program in the country. Hmm. Uh, And it's just the, the rhetoric against it is, is exactly this. Like this is going to ruin lives. It's going to ruin the public schools. People are going to send their kids to, schools that are narrow and not enlightened and they'll make bad decisions. And so like, it's not about the kids. It's all about, you know, the system in some way. Did you see the attorney general of Maine uh, responded recently to this decision by stating that at least some religious schools will continue to be denied funding, but on different grounds. And that is, they would violate Maine's anti-discrimination law. So, for instance, you know, a, a, a fundamentalist Christian school, very strongly biblical, pushing a biblical conception of marriage. You're not going to get money because you 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 discriminated against same-sex couples. Do you think is he just blowing steam, or do you think that's a serious issue to come? My understanding is that they did that. So they applied the Maine human rights law to all schools as a condition of participating. Interestingly, even though religious entities have an exemption in the Maine human rights law, they say, but if you want to participate, you have to comply with the Maine human rights law, which includes non-discrimination on the basis of LGBT status. Um, And that would apply both in admissions and in the hiring and firing of teachers. Um, And I understand some schools have decided not to participate um, as a result. So um, a couple things. Carson doesn't answer the question whether the Maine can constitutionally do that. So Carson says, you may not say to schools in order to participate, you must secularize, which is what Maine said. But it doesn't say anything about any other conditions that states might put on participating in private school choice programs. Um, Thus far, you know, I mentioned there are 31 states with private school choice. very few school, none of them, maybe Maryland and Maine are the only two that have imposed these non-discrimination requirements. And I believe the Maryland requirement has been enjoined by a federal court. Um, so hmm. by and large, the religious liberty rights of schools have, have been protected in private school choice programs. Um, but the strings question, or what we might call the unconstitutional conditions question, has not been resolved. Um, I think the most important question left unanswered constitutionally is whether um, the the state can constitutionally um, condition participation on waiving the so-called ministerial exception, which gives religious mm-hmm. entities the power to hire and fire without government scrutiny ministers. And that includes the court has made clear in recent decisions, teachers in religious schools. So that's a big open question that I think will get litigated. But thus far, politically, um, it has that those those kinds of requirements have not really come with private school choice. Nicole, it's crazy. If you're a same sex couple, you've adopted a child, you want to take this money. uh, There are 50 other schools 
that you can select rather than this school that, that has a position on, on homosexuality. Uh, what I noticed in, in the report on, on the main attorney general's declaration that the, the main people who supported the challenge, uh, they, they're very strong. They don't, they don't seem to be backing off on this one bit, uh, that, one statement I read was, oh, this is just the attorney general, you know, clutching at straws. Uh, this is actually clear obstructionism of a Supreme Court uh, decision, and it doesn't have a prayer of of holding up. I guess we'll see, right? We'll see. I mean, so I, I mean, I think um, one of the things I saw that the attorney general said that was hilarious after Carson, which clearly is obstructionist, he said, well, these schools, not only are they discriminatory, they only teach one religion. Like, that's the point of the whole opinion. Like, you know, they didn't say like, the court didn't say like, it's okay as long as you let schools that teach three religions in. I mean, the point of being a religious school is you teach one religion. Otherwise, you're, I mean, you could have ecumenical schools, I suppose. But anyway, so I do think it's a separate question, this regulatory strings question, um, that will have to be, that will inevitably um, be litigated in federal court and it will take a while to sort it out. And I think it's also important to point out that there are some strings that come, might come with school choice, which are completely fine, but religious schools might not like. So for example, in Indiana, um, there's a, there's a voucher law that serves about 80% of the kids are qualified and it, to, to participate, you have to take the state test. Historically, private schools haven't taken the state test, but and in, in Indiana is actually the only state that requires um, every school who, that it participates to take the state test. But I don't think a, it tests like English and math. I, I don't see, yeah. like, you might not like it, but that doesn't make it unconstitutional. It might be different if it said you have to teach a particular view of marriage. You must talk about contraception in your school. You must say things that are contrary to your religion. I think those are much stronger free exercise cases, but those are cases that will, that will come later. Um, Vermont, I understand, has a similar choice program to Maine's. Do you see them adjusting according to this decision? Well, Vermont's program was invalidated by the Second Circuit Court of Appeals um, last year, right? Okay. Right before, in fact, that's probably what prompted the court to take the, the Carson case because the First Circuit had upheld the exclusion of the religious schools from the tuitioning program and the Second Circuit had rejected it as unconstitutional. I don't know what Vermont's done in the wake of this, whether they've imposed different conditions on participation or whether they just said, okay. I actually haven't followed that story. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think there are, I mean, we might think about like other implications outside of this little narrow New Englandy thing. Carson has huge implications um, outside of that, uh, including lots and lots of programs, probably hundreds, maybe thousands of programs where the government enlists the, they enlist religious entities to do good, Catholic charities, right? for run job training programs and homelessness programs. And, you know, uh, they enlist the, all the Catholic schools in New York City for universal pre-K. And they say, but you have to be secular to participate. All of those restrictions, and there are hundreds of them, are now 
I think on the chopping, on the constitutional chopping block. Somebody, I mean, New York's universal pre-K restriction that says you have to be secular seems to me to be patently unconstitutional after, after um, Carson. But Head Start, same thing. Head Start says you can, you know, do pre-K and we'll give you federal dollars, but you have to be secular. I mean, there are lots and lots of programs that this calls the constitutionality of in, into question. Uh, and, uh, you know, that may have other requirements that, you know, maybe religious schools don't want to do it, but like, there are a lot, this has wide ranging implications outside of the school choice context as well. I didn't think about programs like Head Start. I mean, Head Start is about a $600 million a year program, I think. Probably yeah, well, how about, now. how about Title II, which is, um, a federal education funding uh, program for teacher professional development. And it says um, you, you, you have to, you, the, the professional development um, can be provided by a religious provider, a religious university, University of Notre Dame can provide teacher professional development, but the professional development must be secular. Huh. So the title dollars, you have to promise that they're not being paid. You know, there's no Jesus involved. Well. Well, uh, Nicole, you, you've got your work cut out for you. Okay. Well, we'll cut short right now. Uh, <laughs> so you, but, but we need, we need, we need, we need you and, and, and others to, to, to get on the push. Let me ask you, I'm, I'm in Northern Virginia and last fall, the role of parents in education was a big political issue. It might've been the issue that cost the Democrats the state in the top three offices. Do you think that the rising profile of parents in the last few years played any role in influencing the justices? Um, is, is, is no, that, I, that no. I mean, I think yeah. that the principle was well established. Carson breaks little new doctrinal ground. I mean, the reality that, that, you know, the 31 states now have parental choice, I think, you know, it's, it's, it makes the importance, the case more important, right. To the court to take. Um, I will say this, that 2021, one was the most successful year in the history of the school choice movement. Last year, 21 states adopted or expanded a new choice program, including three new states adopting very large programs. As I just mentioned, Arizona just um, it created a universal school choice education savings account with universal um, eligibility. Um, Ohio, Ohio, um, Indiana, and um, Wisconsin have expanded their eligibility to be above 80%. And I think that in many ways is parent frustration. It's being driven by parent frustration politically, both to cap to the fact that public schools remained closed when private schools opened during COVID and to this, the general frustration with many parents that have with what goes on inside public schools. So parents increasingly demand alternatives to the neighborhood public schools like the ones I went to. Um, and that is very powerful. And I just don't think, I think Arizona is just the tip of the iceberg. The, the, the essay in City Journal is a victory for religious liberty and educational pluralism. Uh, Professor Garnett, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.